Please take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy in the New Testament. We'll be reading together chapter 1, verses 8 through 12. This is God's Word. Paul writes, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death, And brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask him to help us as we study his word. Lord, our God, we gather together this evening from all different sorts of backgrounds, with all different levels and degrees of baggage that we carry with us. But Lord, all of us come as those who are unfaithful, as those who are sinners. And all of us come needing your sovereign grace. Oh, Lord, we pray for those to whom you have already lavished grace upon them, that our hearts would be strengthened by the glorious good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this passage. And for those who do not know you this evening, whether they are skeptics, whether they are seekers, whether they are searching and questioning, Lord, whatever state their soul might be in, we pray that you would sovereignly come by your Spirit and use your word to draw them to yourself. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure we've all had the experience of walking into the middle of a conversation that you thought was just beginning. And maybe you began to speak something that you thought was was very wise, that contributed much to the conversation, only to, to see a look on the faces of those who were a part of the conversation that made you realize instantly, wait a minute, there's some context here, there's some knowledge they don't have, uh, and I've just spoken very foolishly. Or maybe you recognize that before you even opened your mouth, that wait a minute, this is a conversation that's already been going on for some time, I need to just step back and walk away. Uh, we can also enter into the middle of stories, can't we? Right, maybe your family decides over the Christmas holidays to watch the fourth episode of their favorite TV show, or Home Alone 12, and you're like, I haven't seen all 1 to 11, right? And so you, you don't understand the context, you don't know what's going on in the story, and you're confused. Or even if you try to, to understand, they want to they shut you up and say, no, 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 we'll, we'll tell you later, right? Well, oftentimes when we think about the, the birth of Jesus Christ, his conception, his birth, It's true. It is the beginning of his human life, his human existence. But the appearing of Jesus Christ on earth is actually the middle of the story. 
When we read about his coming into this world, it's not the beginning of the story. It is the middle of the story. And if you don't realize this, then you are either going to be confused about what the story is all about, and so walk away, discouraged, say, what's the point? Why do I even need to, to think about this? Or you will wrongly think that you already understand what's going on, and so you'll miss the point completely. As a wise man said long ago, you cannot learn what you think you already know. Well, what is the point of Jesus' appearing? What is this story all about? Well, Paul tells us here in our passage, if you look in verse 10, he gives us the answer. Now, it's in the middle of the sentence, but look at what Paul says in verse 10. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. Now, what is the which? What is that word which referring to? Well, if you go back a verse to verse 9, you see that the which is referring to the grace of God. The appearing of Jesus is the manifestation, the making known of God's grace to save sinners who are unable to save themselves. The appearing of Jesus is the middle of a story that is all about grace from beginning to end. And so this evening, I want us to see three things about the grace of God here in this text briefly. First, grace before time. Second, grace in time. And third, grace at the end of time. First, grace before time. We saw it, didn't we, in our first scripture reading. Jesus's appearing, fulfilled prophecy that was made before he appeared on this earth. But Paul tells us here in verse 9 that Jesus' appearing also fulfilled and revealed the grace of God that was given to his people before time was even created. Look at verse 9. God has saved us, Paul says, and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. You see, if you are a Christian this afternoon, it's not because of anything that you did or didn't do. It's not because of anything that you are or aren't. It's not because of any intention or choice of your own. God did not save you because of your works, Paul is saying, but because of his choice, because of his sovereign grace, because in eternity past, he chose to freely grant to you grace in Jesus Christ. It's another way of saying this. None of us in this room are so good that we are beyond the need of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And the incarnation of the Son of God some 2,000 years ago is a flashing neon sign telling you that this eternal grace is the very hope of your soul. For you see, the God who took the initiative to send his Son to earth is also the God who had already taken the initiative before the foundation of the world to give grace to you who believe 
in Jesus Christ. But also, if you heard Pastor Dean sort of already kind of spoil this point, it's not just that God gave grace to you, but it's that God gave you who believe in Jesus to Jesus. You see, we often think, don't we, rightly, that God gave his only begotten son to us. That's true. But there's another truth, sort of the, the flip side of that coin. Jesus tells us in John chapter 6 and John chapter 17 that the Father gave us as a present to his Son. In eternity past, the Father promised to give his Son a people for his own possession if the Son would go to earth and live and die and obey the Father's will in order to save us from our sins. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And so if you have come to Jesus this evening, it's not because you're better or smarter or more deserving than those who have not come. You've come to Jesus because you were the gift of the Father to his Son before times eternal. How does Jesus put it in John 6, verse 37? All that the Father give me will come to me. Your faith in Jesus Christ is the outworking of the grace of God before time. That brings us to the second point, grace in time. You see, Paul goes on in verse 10 to tell us that the grace given us before time began has been, as he says, manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now this description of the grace that Jesus accomplished for us by his incarnation is very similar to what we read in Hebrews 2. If you're with us this morning, Pastor Dean read a portion of Hebrews chapter 2, but if you would have gone back just a few more verses, this is what you would have read. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. What was the incarnation? Like, what was it? What was its nature? What was it all about? The incarnation of Jesus Christ was an act of war, you see. It was a, a hostage rescue operation. Jesus came to conquer Satan, to conquer death, and he brought in life and immortality for all of those who the Father had given to him from before the foundation of the world. And this act of war, this act of deliverance and rescue, it shouldn't surprise us, should it? Because the angel has told us in Matthew chapter 1 that the name of Jesus is no accident. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You see, that the name Jesus, Jesus in the Greek, is the, the Greek translation of the Hebrew name Joshua, Yeshua. And that name Yeshua means what? It means Yahweh saves. Yahweh, the covenant name of the God that reveals himself to us in the Bible. Do you see the point? Jesus, Joshua, Yahweh saves. The baby in Mary's womb, the baby in the manger, 
is Yahweh. He is the Lord of glory. He is the mighty God who took to himself a human nature in order to rescue his people from the mess that we had gotten into because of our sins. And he did this how? By living a perfectly obedient life, by enduring the wages of sin, death, that we deserved. But he endured it in our place on the cross. Jesus comes not merely to make salvation possible, but to fully and completely save his people from their sins. For you see, as we've sung already this evening, Jesus Christ is the new and the better Adam. He obeyed where Adam disobeyed. He took in his own human body the punishment, the covenant curse of death. But he's also a new and better Joshua. You remember Joshua in the Old Testament, perhaps? Joshua who who defeated, who delivered, who brought the people of God into the promised land. Jesus is the new and better Joshua who has come to defeat and to deliver us from our spiritual foes sin, Satan, and death, and to lead us into a permanent inheritance of eternal life with all of the spiritual blessings that are found in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. We sing it, don't we? We're about to sing it. We sang it this morning. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second Today, If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it is only because of the sovereign and the effectual grace of God in Jesus. At just the right time, through the work of Jesus in his life and on the cross, God drew you to the Son. He granted you the ability to come to Jesus. He calls you to be born again to a living hope. He brought life and immortality into your life. He opened your eyes so that you might repent of your sin, that you might believe in Jesus Christ, that you might turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God. Your salvation is only the result of grace, grace in time, grace manifested by the appearing of Jesus Christ. Which brings us finally to the last point, grace at the end of time. You see, the The New Testament is clear that our Lord and Savior who appeared on this earth and who was here for some 30 years is going to reappear. He is going to appear on this earth once again. And I wonder if you caught the reference in verse 12 to his second coming. Paul says, I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Those two words, that day, are used throughout the Bible to refer to the day of judgment. The day when Jesus returns no longer in a state of humiliation, but a state of exalted glory. Listen to how Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 puts it. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, the author writes, and after that comes judgment... So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. You see, the grace that has been lavished upon God's people before time and in time will be poured out in fullness 
upon them at the end of time. That's why Peter can write in 1 Peter chapter 1, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul is so sure here that Jesus will guard him to the very end. He eagerly waits for his Lord and Savior to come from heaven to earth once again and to transform his lowly body into conformity with his own glorious body. Paul's confidence is not in himself, but in the grace of God in Jesus Christ. So you see what Paul is teaching us here. Grace from beginning to end. Salvation is all of grace. And the appearing of Jesus Christ declares that like no other. Grace was given to us in Jesus before time began. It's manifested in time and the appearance of our Savior. And it will be brought to us at the end of time, in fullness, when Jesus appears again. And so this evening, if you are not a disciple of Jesus Christ, not a follower of him, not a believer of him, not a lover of him, then what I want you to see is that the appearing of Jesus on this earth assures you that no matter how bad you are, no matter how wicked you are, no matter what you have done, what you have thought, what you have said, you are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. Right after Jesus said in John 6, all that the Father give me will come to me, he uttered these words, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. The gospel offer comes to you from Jesus himself, from Matthew 11, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, he says. My burden is light. Or hear the words of the prophet Isaiah Referring to the Lord God, he says this, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Friend, come to Jesus. Come and welcome and find the life, the immortality, the joy, the peace that comes from knowing him. But if you're here this evening and you have already come to him to be his disciple, I want you to see quickly five things that Paul wants you to do, to be, to hear as you wait for him to come again. First, in verses 8 and 12, he says, Be unashamed in suffering. Don't be ashamed of this gospel story, no matter who scoffs, no matter who mocks you, no matter who rejects you for your faith. Do not be ashamed of the gospel story, but be, but be willing to suffer for it boldly by the power of God. Second, in verse 9, Paul says, be humble in relationships. If you've been saved by grace and not by works, believer in Jesus. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? Walk in humility. Third, Paul says, be holy and living. You see that in verse 9 as well. The holy and gracious God has called you with a holy calling. 
that you might walk in obedience to his holy law. Do not turn the grace of God into lawlessness. Fourth, Paul says here, be fearless in dying. Verse 10, if Jesus has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light, then good Christian men and women rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Now you need not fear the grave. Jesus Christ was born to save. And finally, verse 12, be confident on judgment day. Know whom you have believed and know that his power is guarding you, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Salvation is all of grace. And salvation by grace changes us. It transforms us. It makes us more and more like our Savior. As we close, I just want to draw your attention once more to what Pastor Dean read in Matthew chapter 2. The wise men came to do what? To worship Jesus. Herod also said to the wise men, I want to worship him too. But he really didn't. The question for all of us tonight is, what will you do with the Christ? What will you do with Jesus? Will you worship him? Filled with joy, filled with an overwhelming sense of awe, filled with the knowledge of your own sinfulness, but of his rich grace. That is our prayer for all of us here this evening, that we would worship the Lord, the Savior, the one who has brought us grace upon grace. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we thank you for sending your Son into this world. We thank you, Lord, for giving your people to your Son before the foundation of the world. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming for dwelling among us. Thank you that you can sympathize with all of our weaknesses. Lord, would you powerfully meet each person where they are this evening? Lord, would you change us? Do not let us leave here the same as we walked in. Lord, by your word, by your truth, and by your sovereign grace, O Spirit, come, cause this word to find its way deep into the bottom of our hearts, that it might bear roots, that it might bear fruit upward. Lord, we pray that you would do the work that only you can do, that you would cause our hearts to be filled with joy as we meditate upon your work and your Son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.